Uh, So we're in the second week of our core value series talking about what it means to be a gospel-centered church. And as I said last week, for some of you, that that phrase gospel-centered is fairly familiar. You've heard it a lot. You kind of understand what it means. Some of you, it might be kind of new, and others, it might be something you've just heard. Maybe the last week was the first time you've heard it, or it's um, very, very new in your mind, and so you're still figuring out what that means. But regardless of whether we know what it means or whether it's brand new to us, as a church, we want to clarify what it means that we're a gospel-centered church. We don't want this to be something that's on paper, but actually something we live out. And those of us who are a part of First City, we can articulate and live out ourselves. So we're taking the next few weeks to think through and reflect on what it means to be gospel-centered. Last week, we began our series talking about what the gospel is and what it means to have a gospel-centered theology. This week, this morning, we're going to consider what it means to be a gospel-centered community. And I want to get into this topic by borrowing an illustration that I got from some of the the pastors over at Coram Deo. And and so some of you have actually heard this before, so I'll try to pull it off as well as the guys at Coram Deo do. Let's talk about ranching. We're in an agricultural context. We're in the state of Nebraska. A lot of you know about ranching, and there's typically two ways that ranchers will kind of keep track of their flocks and their herds. One is to build fence along the boundaries of the property. So you drive through Nebraska, you go through Kansas and Iowa, you'll see miles and miles of fence line marking off boundaries in order to keep livestock pinned in into the correct boundary. But that's not the only way that ranchers can keep control of their livestock. So if you go to places like the Australian Outback or other places even in the United States where there's greater areas of land and the, and the boundaries are much wider and bigger. Ranchers don't build fences, they build wells. And they'll build a well knowing that their livestock aren't going to travel more than a day's journey from that well so they can keep track of their livestock just by placing a well in a particular area. And so if they have to go and herd the livestock, they know, hey, they're not going to travel farther than a certain radius from this well, and so it helps them to sort of keep control without having to build a fence. Sociologists tell us that human community is often defined this way too. So you have what are known as bounded set communities, which is where we have a boundary and we define the boundary, and if you are inside that boundary, you belong to that community. So for those of us that live in Bellevue, the the boundaries of Bellevue mark us as a part of this community. If you live in Omaha or Papillion or Plattsmith, The boundaries of those cities, the fact that you're in the boundary means you're part of that community. We also see this with our neighborhoods. I live in the Fairview neighborhood. That means I live within a certain boundary to belong to that neighborhood. If you're in Sunrise or Quail Creek or Two Springs or Brook Park or whatever whatever neighborhood you live in, in, you're part of that community because you exist within the boundaries. Now, there's another way to belong to a community, and these are more centered set community. And here's an example bald-headed men. So you have sort of the archetypical bald-headed guy who's got no hair. He's the center. And then some of us were sort of defined by our various stages of trajectory towards the center. Some of you are closer than others. But the, 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 the community is defined not just by the center, but also those who are on the journey towards the center, a centered set community. Now let's apply this to the church. Many of you have been part of churches that defined themselves by the boundaries. Do you believe what we believe? 
Do you dress like we dress? Do you talk like we talk? Do you school your kids like we school our kids? And if you do those things, if you're within those boundaries, then you are part of the community. If you do not, then you are outside of the community. Now, the problem with any church that defines itself by the boundaries is that sooner or later over time, the focus is going to become policing the boundaries, making sure that there's conformity to all of those boundaries in order to be part of the community. And when this goes bad, it goes bad in tragic ways. Some of you are wearing those scars. Some of you are feeling that pain of of being told you're outside the community because you haven't conformed to particular boundaries the church sets. I grew up in a a really interesting church world. I I have have a lot of different church experiences. Well, one of the churches that I spent some time in in high school, my family were a part, uh, we were a part of an independent fundamental Baptist church. If that's your background, you know, no knock on the IFB church, but we were part of that church. And we were a part of this church that said the King James Bible is the only Bible you can use. Every other translation in the English language is corrupt in some ways, and so we only use the King James Bible here. So if you want to be part of this community, you have to use the King James Bible. And so you can see how that could create some issues when the boundary that they define themselves by, and they begin policing it. And so there, there is a strict adherence to, you have to use, don't you bring that NIV into this church. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not, Sadly. But here's what we learn from Scripture, and here's what we're going to learn from our passage in Ephesians 2, that the church is not defined by the boundaries, but by the center. And the center is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The center is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is a gospel-centered community. And here's how I want to get inside this. Here's what I want us to take to heart this morning, is that the church is a gospel-centered context that grows through gospel-centered content. The church is a gospel-centered context that grows through gospel-centered content. And so let's first talk about what it means that the church is a gospel-centered context or a gospel-centered community. Same, kind of using those terms interchangeably. So the heart of a gospel-centered community or gospel-centered context is gospel-centered unity, gospel-centered unity. And so we can talk about unity, and and it can almost be kind of cliche, because you hear people say, hey, we need more unity in our society. We need more unity in our world. We need more unity in the church. And we kind of, eyes can kind of glaze over and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, But let's not be so callous. Like, our world definitely is deeply broken. There are deep divisions that we experience, and those divisions are painful, Our world does need more unity, but the question becomes, what is that unity being built upon? See, unity is only as good as the foundation. It's only as powerful as the thing uniting us. And so if our unity is going to be strong, if it's going to be enduring, if it's going to be healthy unity, then the thing that is unifying us must be strong and enduring and healthy. And in this section of Ephesians 2... God's word proclaims this great unifying work accomplished by Christ, bringing together two groups of people who are otherwise hostile, Jews and Gentiles. Here's what Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 tells us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So culturally, politically, spiritually, Jews and Gentiles, so Gentile is a term for everybody else who's not a Jew, these two groups historically have always been at odds. There, there's been conflict between them. This was one of the most significant racial, political, spiritual conflicts in the first century. They were different ethnicities. They had different political practices. There was different worship practices, different ways of marrying, different ways of educating their kids, different diets, different ways of dressing, and on and on and on. There was difference and difference and difference. Jews and Gentiles were bounded, set communities. You were defined by staying within particular boundaries and practices. And even the great power of the Roman Empire, with all its political and cultural influence, could not bring these two groups together. Kind of sounds like our time in some ways. Multiple division over multiple lines, and we try politics, we try education, we try technology, and it doesn't work. And into this great division, into this hostility, comes the gospel. That the power of the gospel breaks into this hostility, into this division, and, and like a bulldozer, knocks down the dividing wall. And so Paul talks about in this passage the, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is this were the religious practices of the Jews that sort of kept the Gentiles out. Now, the Gentiles didn't practice these particular things, and so they were kept on the outside of the people of God. But when Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law of commandments, when he was crucified in his flesh as the perfect atoning sacrifice, he kicked down that wall of dividing hostility and brought two people together. Because this is what Jesus Christ accomplished. No more were the people of God going to be defined by the boundary of keeping the law of commandments and ordinances, but by the center of faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus completely reorients what it means to belong to God, what it means to be a part of the people of God. It's no longer a bounded set thing where you have to keep the boundary, keep the commandments, perform religiously to be part of the people of God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's turning from your sin. It's turning from that tendency in your heart to try to perform and earn your identity and, per and to perform for God, to sort of say, God, I've done enough. Turning from all of that and turning to faith in Jesus Christ. Because here's a point of unity for us all. Like, it doesn't matter if you, what, what race you are, what gender you are, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you are, it doesn't matter how you parent your kids, educate your kids, it doesn't matter what you eat, it doesn't matter what political party you belong to. Here's something true of all of us. We're all desperately broken. We are rebellious sinners. Be, be, being part of a particular bounded set doesn't make, make you any less in need of grace. Like we are all in need of grace. The first dividing wall, the most significant dividing wall that you and I experience is that dividing wall between you and me and God. Like we sit under the righteous wrath and judgment of God because of our sin, but praise God because of Jesus Christ. 
He has broken down that wall, that hostility between us and God, and he has brought us to relationship with God. If you're in Jesus Christ, he has kicked down that wall of hostility, and God is now your loving heavenly father. And the good news of the gospel is in bringing us all to God, Jesus also brings us to one another. He reconciles us not just to God. It's not just me and Jesus and me and God, but he reconciles me to you all. He reconciles me to the church. What this passage says is he has created one new man where there used to be two. One new people, one new community. And he does this through the cross of Christ, through the blood of Christ, uniting us to Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, all of the things that would divide you have been done away with, have been knocked down. We are united in Jesus Christ. No more ethnic wall, no more political wall, no more religious performance wall. Look, if God doesn't define his relationship with you and me by our race, our class, our gender, our education, our diets, you name it, but through faith in Jesus Christ, then you and I define our relationship with one another not through race and gender and class and education preferences and diet, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the center. That is the defining characteristic of the church. We're a gospel-centered community. And church in our world shot through with so much division, so much hostility, so much just angst and anger. As a gospel-centered community, we have a wonderful opportunity to shine a bright light of unity. And church, do you know that Jesus loves building communities out of people who have no business being in relationship with one another? He, he loves building communities of unity where it's the only explanation for that unity is himself. Like if you look at his crew, the, the, the twelve. This is who Jesus pulled into his crew. You have Peter, James, and John, who were like the three head leaders of the church, all racists. Like, like he went after racists and brought him in. I'm going I'm to unite you to some people, and I'm going to blow your world. And then he goes after Matthew, a tax collector. He was a Jew and a tax collector. This is like treason to the Jews. Like your loyalty is to Rome, not to your people. And then he goes and gets Simon the Zealot, who was a, basically a domestic terrorist, and so if you're, if you're a traitor to your people and you have a domestic terrorist coming in your crew, you think those two are going to get along? Like, like you think of Trump supporters and Hillary supporters hating each other. This is a whole other level. Jesus brings them both into his discipleship. He's, he takes these two guys who would hate each other otherwise and he unites them in him. This is what Jesus does. He saves, he forgives, he transforms, he smashes boundary lines, and he brings people together in an awesome, unexplainable unity. I mean, can you imagine being in this church? I mean, can you imagine having two pastors, one like a diehard Trump supporter and one a diehard Hillary supporter? Don't read into that about Paul and I. Um, <laughs> but can you imagine being pastored and led by two guys like that? This is what Jesus does. This is what the gospel does. It transforms people that would hate each other and to brings them together in loving unity around Christ. Now, we can celebrate this, and we should celebrate this, but boy, it is difficult. 
it is hard to live out because this is what we do. We, we have these tendencies to slip back into these patterns of behavior. One, we, we can try to build unity devoid of the gospel. Like out of misguided notions of love, we will sort of just ignore and overlook people's sin and their bad beliefs and just pretend out that stuff doesn't matter. We'll just get along, we'll just live and let live, and we'll build unity by just forgetting and downplaying all the mess and all the junk. Look, that's not unity. Because that, that, that's just letting people get along with each other. That, that's like leaving people alone. That's not unity. Also, that's not redemptive. Like that kind of unity doesn't require the blood of Jesus. It doesn't require the cross. It doesn't require repentance and faith. It doesn't require being united to Jesus and having new life birthed in us. And so trying to build unity devoid of the gospel by just sort of living and let living and just downplaying all our sin and mess, that isn't what scripture's talking about. That's not the unity that's gospel-centered. On the flip side, even for churches that are gospel-centered, churches like us, we, we have to be careful because we can so quickly throw back up boundary walls. Like in the ancient church, the Jews wanted to impose circumcision on the Gentiles. Say, you believe in Jesus? Great. We believe in Jesus. Let's all believe in Jesus together. But you got to be circumcised. So both Jesus, but boundary. Throwing this boundary back up. You want to belong to this community? Here's the boundary. No longer Jesus the center. And we can do the same thing. Like, we'll celebrate the gospel. We'll celebrate Jesus. We'll say we're gospel-centered, but then we'll start throwing up boundaries between each other. Things like politics, political affiliation. Come on. Things like how we educate our kids. Things like socioeconomic class. God forbid it be things like race. But we will throw up walls. We will throw up boundaries. We will determine I can be in relationship with you, not based on Jesus Christ, but based on fill-in-the-blank boundary. And so we are so susceptible to throwing these walls back up. Now, let let me be clear about something. These secondary issues, they're not unimportant. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that things like politics or how you school or, or the other things that can kind of put us in certain types of bounded set communities, I'm not saying those things aren't in, unimportant. I'm not saying that we should just forget about them and ignore them. But they're not the thing that define community. They're not the thing that define relationship. Because here's the thing, church. Those things aren't distinctly Christian. They're, they're rather unremarkable. Like, for those of you that, that homeschool, like, look, I love homeschooling. Like, I love that you do that. There is wonderful benefit to that. But do you realize that there is a pretty significant movement in our country that people homeschool for non-religious reasons? Like, more and more secular people are doing this. It's not remarkable. It's not distinctly Christian. It doesn't define us as believers in Jesus. Like, our good, conservative, moral behavior and practices there are aspects of that that, that aren't distinctly Christian. Like, I, I remember when I lived on the East Coast and I, I was taking a class in seminary on Christianity and Islam, and one of my assignments was to go attend a mosque. 
and, and as I was sitting during the service, I was listening to the guy talk, and everything he was saying, a good sort of conservative, uh, moral person could have stand up and said amen to that and said, yes, I agree with that. No mention of Jesus, no mention of the cross, no mention of repentance and faith, no mention of new birth in Jesus. So this whole morality conservative thing is unremarkable. It does not define us. It does not make us distinctly Christian. And so these things are not unimportant, but they're not the things that define us and most mark us as believers in Jesus Christ. Because look, those things are not what tore down the dividing wall of hostility between you and me and God. They're not the thing that brought us together and made where there were two people, one community. Those are not the things that bring unity. Those are not the things that bring a unity that is strong and enduring and life-giving. Only Jesus does that. Only the gospel does that. And so the gospel is what we are unified on. Here's another aspect of this too. What, what is beautiful is that when the gospel is central, like when that is what defines us and unifies us, we are free to celebrate difference. We are free to celebrate the ways that we are distinct and different. We can celebrate that some of us homeschool and some of us send to private school and some of us send to public school. We can celebrate that there are Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Green Party in this church. We can celebrate that there are different theological positions on secondary issues. And as I said last week, I am so thankful that that defines us as a church. But there is wonderful grace in this church that there are distinctions and differences. And, and I'm praising God that we're actually growing ethnically in diversity as well. And that happens in a healthy way when the gospel is centered. And so I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Keep putting the gospel central. Keep being mindful of the ways that you might throw up boundaries and let Jesus knock those boundaries down. Oh, let's celebrate difference. Let's love a difference. Let's learn from each other. Let the tension of difference sanctify and transform us. Let God work in those things. Let's keep the gospel center. Let's keep the gospel the thing that unifies us and defines us as a community. So the gospel, so, so the church is a gospel-centered context or a gospel-centered community that grows through gospel-centered content. So let's spend just a few minutes talking about what it means to grow through gospel-centered content. If we are a gospel-centered community united in the gospel, how do we grow? How do we, how do we let the gospel be the thing that grows us as a community? How, how, if you think of it in that center and set analogy, how are we growing more and more towards the center who is Jesus Christ? Well, later in the book of Ephesians, so Ephesians chapter four, we sort of get a snapshot of how the gospel can transform the church and how the gospel is to function within a, a church that is unified in Christ. Now, there's more in this passage that I'm gonna read that I'm gonna talk about, but I just wanna highlight a few things and point out a few things. This is what Paul writes. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's some things that define a gospel-centered church that is growing in gospel-centered content. First, there's a humility about us. There's a, a, a humble spirit about us. We're, we're humble and we're gentle with one another. We're gentle with differences. We're gentle with disagreements. We're also patient with each other, recognizing we're all in process. We all need the grace of God. We're all broken. We're all messy. And so we're patient with one another. We bear with one another. This literally means we put up with each other. Like there are things in you I have to put up with. And there are things in me you have to put up with. Amen, yes. (laughs) And in Christ we do that. When the gospel is growing us, we put up with one another in love. Not just in this sort of, well, I gotta put up with you, but in love. And then we see this picture of the different offices and leadership positions in the church. And you have the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And I really set aside that, but just what are they doing? Well, they're equipping the church to do the work of the ministry. So you see an entire church community getting their hands dirty in the work, discipling, loving, serving, sharing the gospel. We're all doing the work together. And what is to be the result of that work? Well, again, building up the body of Christ. And that's defined by being built up in unity. Like like we guard the unity that, that Christ built for us. Christ established it, but we're to be eager to maintain that unity. We're we're not to be passive in that unity. We're going to run at that and say, we're going to guard this, we're going to build this, because we believe in this. And then there's maturity. We're going to grow in maturity. This literally means be an adult in your faith. Like, be a grown-up in your faith. In the fullness of Christ. So we are experiencing the life of Christ. We're intimate with Christ. There, There is a transformation that is happening as the life of Christ comes out of us. And why do we do this? So that we're no longer children tossed to and fro. So so we're not being knocked about by different belief systems and every new idea that comes out and comes across our culture. No, we're anchored in Christ. We're anchored in a mature faith. And rather than being knocked about by different ideas, we speak truth to one another in love. Like, Like we're trying to help each other grow in maturity. We're trying to help each other be established and firm. We, we want to see one another grow up and, and be solid in their faith because we recognize there is, a, there is a living sort of hell that someone can be in when they're all over the place emotionally, all over the place intellectually, all over the place in, in what they believe. Now, that's a kind of torture, and we want to see Christ pe- set people free from that and be established in their faith and have confidence in the love of God for them. So we speak the truth, and we grow up into Christ who is the head. There's sort of this relentless, like we're built up in Christ. We're growing up in Christ. Jesus is the center of all of this. And we do this in love. 
So there's this wonderful picture of the church growing together, building one another up, guarding and building unity, all in love, chasing after maturity, chasing after deeper, the deeper experience of Christ and to have his life come out of us. This is what growth and gospel-centered community looks like. But this only happens through the gospel. The growth in the gospel only happens when our teaching, when what we hold forth, what we're being built in, is gospel-centered. Because only the gospel can produce this kind of thing. You realize only the gospel is going to produce this kind of humility. Like to really be humble with one another, to really be patient with one another. To, to truly bear another, bear and put up with one another in love, only the gospel does that. Because here's what the gospel does. It, it, it shows me that I'm a broken sinner. It shows me that I'm a hot mess apart from Jesus. I'm, even with Jesus, I'm a hot mess. But Jesus shows me who I am. He shows me that I am more broken than, than I even realize. Like, I'm, I'm worse off than I even know, but I'm more loved than I could ever possibly realize. And when those two things are true about me, it humbles me. It, it doesn't paralyze me because I know the grace and love of God are greater than my sin. But boy, that humbles me. And I recognize I am a sinner on a journey toward more like being like Jesus. And I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ and I see them in the exact same place and I want to love them. I want to be humble about their brokenness. I want to be patient with them because I know God has been patient with me and I need them to be patient with me. That's what the gospel does. I mean, the gospel can put me in community with someone who has very different political ideas than me. But I look and I go, you know what? Politics isn't my savior. Politics is not what's going to fix what's broken in this world. Politics is not what has given me an identity. Politics is not what has saved me from my sin and has transformed me. That's Jesus Christ. And so when I look at Christ and I look at, and I see that my brother and my sister are in Christ and that's their hope, that's their identity, I'm like, no, Jesus is greater than politics. Jesus is greater than any other thing that I could potentially put a wall up between me and my brother and sister. I'm like, no, that ain't happening. Jesus is too glorious. The gospel is too glorious for me to do that. And so it's when we hold the gospel up forward that these walls go down and we can bear with one another. We can love one another. And as I said last week, it's only the gospel that renews us in true knowledge and maturity and grounds us in the truth and builds us in love. Like when we detach the gospel from our teaching and our theology, when we don't see all theology as it ends and it means to understand the gospel more fully and to see Christ in all his glory, then we go weird places theologically. We go weird places in our ministry practices. No, we want all that we teach, all that we do as a church to be saturated with the gospel. And the same thing relationally. We're not going to grow in love unless we see the love of Christ first, the love of of Christ for us and the love of Christ for our brothers and sisters. We're not going to enter into that in a way where we're going to speak truth. We'll back away from truth. We'll be too afraid. But if we see that the gospel is what transforms and what people most need is to see their sin and repent and turn faith in Christ, then we're going to speak the truth. We want to hold out the truth so they can see Jesus and grow. And so we need the gospel to grow theologically. We need the gospel to grow relationally. 
And so it is gospel-centered content that grows us in a gospel-centered community and context. And so church, living this out is messy. It's hard. We just need to be honest about it. And it can be very easy for us to get discouraged when we see the challenge, when we see the mess, when we see the difficulty of it. But here's our great hope. It's not on us. It's not our power that's doing this. Like, like we're called to this. We're called to faithfully take what Christ has done. But look, at the end of the day, our power, our hope, is in what God is doing, what the Spirit is doing. Here's how Paul ends Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built together. We are being joined together. We are growing together. All those verbs are passive, meaning it's being done to us. Like God is at work. Like his power is at work. His spirit is at work. Yes, we are doing these things. His power is coming out of us and we are to be faithful and we are to follow Christ and build the church, but he's doing it. And that's our hope, church. That's our power, church. That's what we look to when it gets messy and hard. It's confident that God is building, God is growing, God has united and joined us together. And look what he's doing. He's growing us into a holy temple being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the temple was this beautiful, ornate structure where the the Spirit of God dwelt. And only certain people had access to God in that. But through Jesus Christ, what's the temple? We are. The church. Like This is the temple. Where does God's Spirit dwell? Among us. Who has access? Everyone through the faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is the essence of a gospel-centered community, that the Spirit of God dwells among us and those who are with us experience him. And so we want to be a gospel-centered community so that you and I can experience God in deeper and richer ways, and we want our city and our world to experience him. So let's be a gospel-centered community. Let's be united in the gospel And let's build and grow with gospel-centered content so that we may grow in our experience of the Lord and that our city may see the glory of God and believe. Amen.